A blessed morning to all of you listening, watching uh, with us and uh, as you have joined us today uh, on our online worship service, our Living Word Fellowship's online worship service today. Um, Today we're celebrating Youth Sunday and I'd like to greet all young people, a very blessed Youth Day. Uh, This is a celebration to give way for young people and to give them space in our thoughts. Uh, in our way of life, and all of us have been uh, young before, so I think we understand what it means and how it felt to be young. Our sermon today is about a young person living in a sinful world, and as you can see on my screen, um, we will be discussing and tackling the life of Daniel, and I will be reading uh, his life, a portion only of his life. And I hope as we discuss and as we look into the life of Daniel, we would learn something from him today. And uh, I hope we can see God in uh, the life of Daniel. So that's our sermon for today. And I have entitled this sermon, uh, Daniel, the Portrait of a Young Man Living in a Sinful World. And so without much further ado, Uh, We will be reading from the first chapter of the book of Daniel, verses 1 to 21. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. And if you have your Bibles with you, I won't be flashing the verses on the screen. It's kind of long, so please read with me. I'll be reading Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all of wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion 
in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of his word. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today asking, pleading that you will open our hearts and our minds so that we may understand your word and we may be able to walk in them. Lord, open our hearts so that we may see your truth and that through Daniel, we will be able to reflect our own lives, our own age, and our own time. Thank you so much, Father, for giving us this opportunity to be together, albeit online and in this platform. Bless your people today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The title of my sermon, Daniel, the portrait of a young man living in a sinful world, is actually a... Uh, was taken actually from this novel, The Portrait of the Young Man as an Artist by James Joyce. I've read this novel when I was young, and uh, it's not so very good reading because of the way James Joyce would write his novels. Um, James Joyce is very difficult, uh, I would say, novelist, pardon for those a fan of his, but there's something very beautiful in this story of his, although it's difficult to read. It's about a story of a young Irish Roman Catholic boy who became disillusioned with his religion, talents, and desires. So the main character in this novel by James Joyce, it's actually an autobiographical, um, 
his name, the main character, is named Stephen Daedalus. Now, Stephen grew up poor. He was raised in a very conservative environment. And while he was growing up, he found himself very interested in religion. In fact, he was even asked by his friends or he, he was even pushed to enter priesthood. But also later, Stephen found that he has talent and skill in writing. And not just that, he found himself having so much desire. So he explored the world and found himself that his spirituality and his awakening as a young person and all of these things that are opening and blossoming uh, to him are all incompatible with his life. I want to, and I have taken this novel precisely because I believe this novel just reflects, it's a portrait of every modern young person nowadays, especially I would say Christian young men and women. Why do I say that? For us who grew up in church, we often find ourselves as we are attached so much to our spirituality, as we are attached to our religiosity, or we grew up in a very conservative environment, we realize that perhaps when we open ourselves to the world, we find we might have found ourselves that our talents, our desires, or even the way we uh, express our ideas are incompatible uh, with our faith. And I will not go any further. It happened to me. I find that my passion in life, writing for instance, or, or the things that I want are incompatible with my spirituality. And I've, I think I have mentioned here in this pulpit uh, that at times, and there was a time in my life that I entertained the idea of atheism. And I find that incompatible to, with my faith. And so this novel, the portrait of the young man, of an artist as a young man, is just the conflict of a young person in his life. That perhaps a young person, when he goes out into the world, he finds that there's so many conflicts here and there, left and right. He wanted to play, let's say, rock music, but rock music is something that not really accepted in a very conservative, very refined church music, for instance. Or probably a young budding writer, a Christian writer, who may want to write something about Gothic themes, may find himself or herself not so compatible with Christian themes, what he or she reads in the Bible. So these are things that perhaps confuse the mind of a young person. When you go out with your friends, you realize that you have a different sense and set of attitude and behavior and moral standards different from your friends. And a young person may find it difficult to reconcile. But today, I will be discussing someone different from Stephen Dedalus. Very different. And this person, this young man, lived in a sinful world. So in a way, what I'm trying to say is this. 
As a young Christian, while you may find yourself in the midst or in the myriad of so many things in life and you find all of these things irreconcilable with your faith, there's one young man who was very resolute in his faith and with his faith. He's so resolute and faithful that God prospered him even in the midst of a broken and sinful world. And you know who this person is, none other than Daniel. Before I go further, I want us to understand the background of Daniel's life because if we understand Daniel's life, we would be able to comprehend where he's coming from and how difficult it is for him to be in the situation that he's in. As we all know, uh, during the life of Daniel, Judah, the northern kingdom, was already besieged by the Babylonians. Of course, the earlier kingdom, Israel, was already dissolved and they were already scattered. Judah remained, but of course they will fall also into the hands of their enemies, so they were besieged by the Babylonians. So imagine this. Imagine a young, devout Jew, and you are there in your country, and your country was besieged by your enemy. And with this, the temple was destroyed, and the fixtures in the temple, the artifacts of the temple were looted, and they were brought to the Babylonian temples, to the treasury of the gods of the Babylonians. Of course, this is an affront to Yahweh, and this is an affront to the people of God. And for a young, devout Jew like Daniel, or we could probably say Ezekiel and um, um, his friends, we would soon realize that these things are morally, spiritually discouraging and demoralizing to them. Because this temple, their religion, their way of life is part of their spiritual, cultural identity. So this is a painful trajectory in the life of Judah. So can you just imagine you're a young person. You're about to go out into the world and to express yourself as a young Jew. And here you are, your country is besieged. Your temple, the center, the, the nucleus of your identity as a Jew was destroyed. And all of the fixtures there were looted. And so these young people, particularly Daniel and his friends, they have Jewish names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, saw how their cultural, spiritual identities were destroyed. In fact, when they went to Babylon, their names were changed. And we can read that from verse 6 and 7. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, and they say these are after the Babylonian gods. Imagine you are a very Jew and your name will be changed to, you will be named after a Babylonian god. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael called Meshach, and Azariah called Abednego. Not only their country was, uh, was destroyed, 
their identity as a person, as a young person, was also destroyed. And one of the most painful part that happened was they were exiled, they were thrown to Babylon because um, it was ordered in verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief of eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel. And according to Bible scholars, Daniel and his friends were around 15, 16 years old at that time. Let's assume they're below 20 years old. They're very young. Imagine destroying the life of very young people. They were exiled to Babylon, as we, can, we have seen in the story, to further destroy their culture via assimilation, via assimilating them deeply into the life of the Babylonians. And remember, as we can see here, the requirement for you to be exiled in Babylon is something... Um, perhaps if it were today, um, I would not be able to uh, qualify for this because the qualification is that you must be young or even if I'm young, perhaps I don't have this, you must be good-looking. And we've seen that. Youths without blemish. So if you're a young person with a lot of blemish, I'm sorry, you will not be part of the exile. You should rejoice. You must be of good appearance. That disqualifies me already. Skillful in all wisdom. And you must be of nobility. Of course, that will disqualify me further. Even assuming perhaps that you believe that you are intelligent. If you are enough of nobility, if you're not good looking without blemish, you will not be part. Why is that? These are like the PR. You know, the Babylonians trying to build their PR, their public relations, so they will get the best of the best, the creme de la creme, the young people of nobility, good-looking, wise, wow, intelligent. Where can we find these people nowadays? A young man who's good-looking, of nobility, intelligent, everything, meaning he's a complete package. And these people would have to be exiled to Babylon, displace them, and change their identities, as we have seen that their names were changed. And they are to be taught literature, language, and wisdom of the Babylonians. So what's happening here is a soft assimilation. You know, if you want to destroy a culture of a nation, don't just beseech them. Don't just occupy them. Teach them. Um, make them love your culture. Make them love your language. I would say this. Look at what happened, for instance, when we were colonized by Spain, especially by the Americans. Most Filipinos now speak English, and we are called the little brown Americans. Because we've so assimilated ourselves, we were acculturated. And that's how our culture was destroyed. And I'll say this. In fact, if Spain taught us Spanish, 350 years of Spanish colonization would be enough to erase Tagalog or Philippine language. But they did not. Perhaps we could have been a very Spanish-speaking if Spain um, taught us uh, Spanish, but they did not for 350 years. 
50 years under Americans, they taught us English, and we speak as if we're from California. And so this is the way of the Babylonians to occupy, to erase the Jewish identity. And not just that, they were given the same meal as the king. So they're not, they're treated well here. But see, this is also very evident in modern times. How our young people are demoralized and how are our young Christians, and if you are young Christians, you, make it, you might probably relate with this, that young Christians, how the, their values, their cherished values, the way they were taught and the values that they cherished while they were growing up are being debunked publicly. It's as if a young person has no, nothing to relate to in the world. In a way, we live in a culture like Daniel. We're not exiled, but there's so much to off, the world has to offer to our young people today that they may find themselves being so assimilated in the world. So if a young person, how are you so assimilated in the world? We see that our call for faith in God was challenged by non-belief in God. Our call for purity, as Christianity calls people to be pure, is challenged by liberal ideas and freedom. And our call for righteousness is challenged by modern ways and other forms of lifestyle. So these are the irreconcilable differences between the church and the world. And as a young person in the middle finds himself there, there's no connection between what he professes or what she professes in church and what he sees or what she is in public. So there's kind of, you know, like uh, difference and dichotomy between the two. But this is the question. How did Daniel live his life? Daniel lived in a sinful world. They were seduced to live a sinful life. The painful experience of being exiled is there. But you know, when Daniel and his friends were in Babylon, they were not treated as slaves. They were in fact treated very cozily and uh, importantly in the sense that they not only get the knowledge, wisdom, and literature educated in the Babylonian way, and of course, if there's an empire, usually you would want to be uh, educated under the educational institutions of that empire. Not only that, these young people are, and these young people were given a portion of king's meal. If it were in the modern times, I would say this is the promise of the hippie corporate life for the young person's corporate, the highbrow life for a young person. Wow, this is alluring. 
Imagine, you're given that. It's, you're just like a yuppie, yuppie, you know, and you're given this opportunity to go on and climb the ladder of, uh, of corporate success easily. How did Daniel live his life? Against and amidst this alluring offer of the Babylonian. How was he able to live a life of righteousness? How did he live a life without compromise? So the question is, how do we draw the line that separates us from the rest? And this is my call and admonition to the young people. Daniel is an example of this. When you look at the life of Daniel, if you read Daniel 1 up to the last chapter, Daniel actually served evil empires. He served the Babylonians. He will serve later on the Persians. But what made him stand above the rest? What was with him? Where does he anchor his moral conviction? What is he hoping for? What is he holding on to? And the first reason why I say he was able to do this, he was able to hold on to his moral conviction because, and how he lived his life, it's because number one, Daniel knows his God, the persona of his faith. Daniel knows his God. You know, it's a very antithetical situation for Daniel. You know why? Because it appears for Daniel, it appears to the people of Judah that God abandoned them. Imagine, God promised that he will be there. His presence will be the temple. The Babylonians came. The temple was ransacked. It was looted. It was destroyed. How could Daniel trust his God at this situation? How can you trust this God who allowed his own very temple to be looted, ransacked? But Daniel knew the word of God. He knew he knows very well who his God is. He knows his God very, very well. He knows that his God is sovereign. His God will be there. And even he is in the midst of this situation, even he, he's in the midst of all this trouble, God is there. He did not neglect his people. He is still there, sovereign. But there's also one thing that I want us to look, and this is for the parents. You know, Daniel is around 15, 16 years old. He's very resolute. He's very faithful. Who do you think influenced him? Who influenced Daniel? So parents, you see the effect that you do to your children? And for the young people, if you know your God, you won't look at the situation, like what's happening to Daniel at the time. He did not look at the situation around him, that they were exiled, the temple was ransacked, the people of Judah were, 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 were exiled, and there's no more kingdom of Judah. 
Daniel has read them all in the book. He knows his God will deliver. He did not look at his situation. He focused on his God. He knows his God well. So that's number one. How did Daniel live his life? He knows his God well. And how did he live, he live his life? Number two, Daniel acted on his faith in God. You know, when we read uh, verse 8 up to uh, 17, there's a snippet of story there when they were offered the king's meal. And Daniel refused to take that meal. We could probably surmise that this is for religious reason because the Torah uh, prohibit uh, the Jews uh, from eating uh, uh, food that were sacrificed to idols, uh, those with blood and fat. Let's assume that those were the reasons, and perhaps those were the reasons. But even his choice of eating vegetables would not be so holy at all because even the vegetables that he wants to eat are actually also from the king's kitchen. It's still given to them by the Babylonians. What's with food? Why did he refuse food? He should have refused the knowledge, the Babylonian literature. So what's with food? Some say, and I'd like to pick on this, some say that Daniel is symbolically saying, I will choose my battle. This is something physical. Food is something physical. Food is something tangible. And with that something tangible, with that something physical, he could show and manifest the power of God in his life. He acted on his faith. He believed that just by eating vegetables, he would be more buff than all of his colleagues. And they did. They become more buff. They become buffer, you know. How I wish that uh, just eating vegetable would make me buff. But no, um, eating vegetable would make you lanky. He wanted perhaps and knew his God very well that he acted on his faith. That act of not eating the food from the king and just eating vegetable became a witness to the chief of eunuch. He wanted to show them that my God will prosper me. It might be against the situation. It might be against the situation. It might not be scientifically proven that by just eating vegetable and water, I will be more buff. Definitely, probably it won't. But my God can see that my God will prosper me. And when we look at verse 9, it says here, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. God gave. As Daniel acted on his faith in God, God gave Daniel. In verse 9, in verse 17, we read it again. As for this youth, God gave them learning. God gave. As Daniel and his friends acted on their faith in God, God gave them. 
because they know who their God is, they acted on their faith in God. They are trying to tell these people, my God will prosper me. In fact, after three years, and it was here in the verse, they were found to be ten times more intelligent than their peers. Imagine eating vegetables, you get more buff, and just by eating vegetables, you'll get ten times more intelligent. Perhaps, I don't know, they're not really promoting a vegetarian lifestyle, but that's not the point here. But that, what we're just telling them is that God prospered them. To the young people, you need not compromise. This is actually what Daniel is trying to tell here. You need not compromise, my dear young ones. You need not assimilate yourself in the world into the world. Be different, be of God, and God will honor your faithfulness to him. And God gave in verse 9, and God gave in verse 17. How can vegetable make you more buff? How can vegetable make you more intelligent? It's God who made them that. You need not compromise. Choose your battle well. You need not go to drinking spree with your bosses just to win their favor. Work diligently, my dear young ones. Do not compromise. Be of God, and God will honor you. And how did Daniel also live his life? Daniel lived, and this is what I'm saying, Daniel lived with faithfulness and steadfastness. And I've mentioned he lived without compromise, as we would know later in the story, where there was a king's order to, for, for him to be worshipped, for the golden statue to be worshipped, and Daniel did not pray to that statue, and it led him to be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel is an example of a life without compromise. Daniel is an example how to live and serve in a secular world. Not just secular world at that. And many young people here are studying and sooner, or perhaps you will be working, or you are now working in a secular world. Be like Daniel. You might be living and serving in a secular world. Not just secular, but I would say evil secular world. But Daniel showed us how not to be in collusion with evil and with evil powers. But this is the paradox. Daniel served evil kings. He, be, he was actually one of the, uh, of the um, high-ranking officials in the Babylonian courts as well as the uh, Persian courts. He served these kings. But this is the paradox. How was he able to serve these evil kingdoms without compromising his faith? And this is the reason. He lived with faithfulness and steadfastness 
acting on his faith in God and knowing who God is. How to be different? That is your call, my dear young ones. How do you show that you're different from the world? How do you become excellent in everything? That's also part of being steadfast or being faithful. You see God in everything that you do, that you will do everything excellently. And so that you can live in an evil secular world, you will not be apple polishing or boot licking. You, will, you won't do those things because you believe that God will prosper you. You do things excellently, differently. In your workplaces, in your school. And this is the way, these are the ways how Daniel lived his life. We always say this, and you have read this in the Bible. In Romans, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My dear young ones, you will learn literatures of the world. You will be knowledgeable in this world. You will be exposed to this world. But remember who your God is. What your faith is all about. And live with this God. And in that faith, with faithfulness. With faithfulness to your God. Renew your mind. Do not be conformed by this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How can you renew your mind? By reading the word of God, by saturating yourself in the word of God. You will be exposed. Like me, I was once exposed to the to literatures, to all of these things. I was exposed to it. It exposed me to the sense, to the point that I think I am more intelligent than others. To the point that I think that yeah, probably there's no God because of the literatures that I have read. But when I come to the scripture, to the knowledge of God, I've realized that this book tells me about who God is, the truth, and what my faith is all about. You will find yourself in that crossroad. There's a dichotomy. There's difference. Live like Daniel with faithfulness and steadfastness. And in that juncture, I would say this, and this is also very common. We often hear, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and that's my admonition to you. As you go on with your life, as you study, as you work, seek ye first, my dear young ones, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, this is often misquoted verse. This is how we interpret this. We would usually seek ye first the kingdom of God so that the all things that we want in life will be added unto us. We focus on the second line. All these things shall be added unto you. So, so, uh, so, so, so that I could reach all these things. So in order for me to get all these things, this added unto you, all these things, I should first seek God. But you know, your end is wrong. 
This is what God is trying to tell us in this verse. Jesus is trying to tell us here. If we find and we seek the kingdom of God and righteousness of God, do you think you want still something? If we find the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, do you think you want anything else? If you find the kingdom of God, if you find the righteousness of God, you found everything. And therefore, all of these things will just be added unto you. Now it becomes a surplusage to you. Now it becomes just an add-on. Why? Because these things no longer matter to you. If you find the kingdom, the righteousness of God in your life, there is nothing that you would want for in your life anymore. If you find Jesus, his kingdom, his righteousness, his life, there's no more, there's nothing that could thrill you anymore except Jesus. So all these things are just mere surplusage. And so I will end here. Be a Daniel in a world full of evil compromise. Be a Daniel in a world of mediocre Christianity. Be like Daniel, a young man of integrity and faithfulness in a world of sin and brokenness. This is my challenge to you, how to live in this world. And this is my conclusion. Know your God, act on your faith, and live in faithfulness. You have a bright future ahead of you, my dear ones. If you would know the story of Daniel, even later in life, he did not waver. Even in the lion's den, even his friends in the fiery furnace, we would read that in Daniel later on. You know, it's not to give so much credit to these people. This is what they've discovered, knowing their God, acting on their faith, and living in faithfulness. They're telling the Babylonian Empire and all the evil empires in the world that they serve and they work with and they work on, you can never change the power of my God. You cannot alter who he is in our lives. You cannot overturn his sovereignty. You cannot change his promises. Even if I live in this sinful, immoral, corrupt world, my God never changes. He will not alter in his ways. He will not overturn his sovereignty. And he will not turn back or will not do good with his promises. Live in integrity, my dear ones, in purity, in love, and in grace. Show them who God is. Show them what an excellent young Christian is. Be hardworking, be conscientious. Show them how bright you are. Show them Jesus. Witness. And be a witness to them. Be the salt and light of this world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity, this time to be together. Father, we want to ask you that as we live our lives here on earth, May we know you more. May we know you deeply. May we be able to act on our faith in you, Lord God. 
May we live in faithfulness like Daniel, resoluteness and steadfastness, Lord. We live, Lord God, in a evil and a corrupt world. But Father, with you, we can be the light and salt of this world. We can, sh we can show them who you are in our lives. Lord, I pray for the young people today. I know they have a lot of dreams. I know they have a bright future ahead of them. But Lord, may them walk in integrity, in purity, in holiness. May they see themselves differently. And may they see their identity in you and in you alone. Be with your people today. And for those probably not so young people who are listening to our sermon today, Father, I pray that they have learned something also today. To know who their God is. To act on their faith. And live in faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity to be together. All this we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I hope that you have learned something today. Join us again next week on our online worship service via Facebook and also on YouTube. So please, don't forget, um, I'm like a blogger here, don't forget to subscribe or like this page. With this, let us receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. May the peace of God be with you. See you next time.